Well, uh, there is a lot happening on the campus of Cornell University, ladies and gentlemen. That is in Ithaca, New York, of course. And uh, Cornell Law Professor Bill Jacobson, who is on with us, uh, periodically gives us a couple of minutes on the happenings, and they're not good uh, as far as the uh, Ivy League College uh, is uh, concerned. William, good to have you here. Tough circumstances. Governor actually there over the last day or two to address uh, threats. That's right. Cornell's Jewish community became very aware Sunday of threats uh, against their own. And uh, we're talking about some uh, some reprehensible type of statements made, Bill. And all in all, very tough situation. Give me a sense of what's happening. Yeah, well, you know, it all started, obviously, with the Hamas uh, butchery of Israelis on October 7th. And what you saw at Cornell, as you saw at many places, you actually saw students protesting, supporting Hamas. I mean, as incredible as it is, supporting the mass rape, mass torture, mass kidnapping of babies. Um, there were protesters supporting it. And that obviously created a ton of tension on campus. It was that tension was magnified when a professor, and it went viral, so I'm not like breaking news here, uh, at a rally in downtown, attended by a lot of students, but attended by uh, local activists also, said he felt exhilarated when he heard about the Hamas attack. Um, and then there's been graffiti on campus, you know, F Israel, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can imagine what they, you know, spray painting graffiti all around campus. And uh, the latest is that on a chat board, so it's not on campus, and we don't know who did it, and I'm always very cautious about these things when you don't know who actually did it. But on a chat board, there were, that you know, that apparently is visited by a lot of Cornell students, there were, you know, threats of violence, you know, you should split Jewish students' throats, uh, naming the Jewish dining hall address, um, and there were, you know, several of those uh, posted anonymously or using fake names. Mm-hmm. So uh, that has just raised the temperature on campus, you know, pretty much through the roof. As you mentioned, the governor did come down and give a talk of support. And I'm not a big supporter of hers, but she did the right thing. So yeah, credit and I know the president of Cornell, Mark Pollock, has made a couple of statements, too, in condemnation. Here's the here's the thing. We sp- I spoke about Russell Bickford, Rickford excuse me, last week, uh, one of the professors there who was put on leave, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, the the barbaric attacks of ha- Hamas, uh, according to Rickford, were exhilarating. They were energizing. I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff. Um, but in essence, has President Martha Pollack, uh, Bill Jacobson, has she done enough in order to combat this type of stuff? You know, I, I don't think so. When uh, the Hamas attack first took place, <clears throat> she issued a very wishy-washy kind of both sides. We care about people sort of, uh, we care about people on both sides, sort of thing. And this is after Hamas had initiated an attack on civilian communities, and we all know what the result of that was. Uh, And then there was such an outrage and fury that she issued a follow-up statement uh, saying, oh, I didn't mean by not condemning the attack to think I supported it, and I'm paraphrasing. Um, So it took her a while to come around. Uh, And, you know, then after the, you know, Russell Rickford thing, she did issue a statement. But that's all because of pressure from media and pressure from alumni. 
The problem with Cornell is not that the office of the president, using her communication staff, doesn't issue enough statements. The problem with Cornell is that under her tutelage, they have created a monster on campus. Yeah. They have um, forced this, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, racial focus onto the campus for three years now, it's like a religion on campus. She initiated that. And that, to me, you know, you've got the, the political side. There's going to be conflict, you know, Israel versus, you know, uh, the Arabs. That's always been there. But, you know, on the campus, you've got this racial component. And it has made things dramatically worse. So has she done enough? No, because she ignores the underlying she's problem. She's let it fester. It's not the only problem. Yeah, that she's yeah. created. Yeah, and she's let it fester. And that's what happens when you don't do anything about something in a negative of a negative fashion. Uh, it only increases as far as size. Uh, and that's the problem at Cornell. The cycle of hate, uh, it must come to an end. And those who are responsible for this need to be held accountable. And that's really how you go about it. Uh, I know the police department's been very active. There. By the way, have you had any uh, situations involving Russell Rickford in your own regard? Have you had conversations even from way back? Was there a detection of anything, if so, that you could notice about Rickford? Oh, sure, absolutely. I've covered this on my website that, you know, he... Uh, turns every event or almost every event he attends into an anti-Israel rally. And there's a video I've posted on the website. I forget the year. I think it was 2017 where there was some faculty and student event and it's his turn to speak. And he then leads the crowd in a chant of free Palestine, free Palestine. I mean, he is relentless in his advocacy of destroying Israel. And I mean relentless. He's the single most prominent person person on campus. Now, there are others, don't get me wrong. There is a core group of faculty who do the same sort of agitation, but he was the most prominent. So when he said this, it did not surprise me in the least. That's who he is. And we've known that for many years. And he's done the same thing in Ithaca when he appears, I think it was, I'm not 100% sure in my memory of this. I think it was either the high school or one of the, the schools in Ithaca, he did the same thing, leading them in a chant of free Palestine. The guy's completely obsessed, so it does not surprise me, although he's now, you know, he and his defenders are saying, well, in his statement when he said he was exhilarated, he said, well, of course I don't support, you know, attacking civilians. Well, you just did, okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm not buying that at all. Uh, yeah. That's who he is. That's yeah. who he is, and he's got a group of students who follow him. Yep. Uh, and that's with the, with Rickford, which we spoke about last week, uh, the former professor uh, over at Cornell. Of course, everything from that happened on Sunday uh, regarding the threats, you know, the calling to stab Jews, shoot Jews, rape Jews, bomb Jews, uh, you name it, it was in play. Now, have you had any discussions to kind of temper your mode and stance uh, regarding higher-ups? I know you've been active via the website, uh, some other situations involved. What about those talking to Bill Jacobson? Yeah, no, nobody administratively has reached out to me one way or another, nor would I expect them to. I'm not physically on campus this semester. I'm actually on leave this semester, a sabbatical this semester. So I'm hearing things from students, and I'm reading what everybody else is reading, hearing things from a small number of faculty, uh, and staff, but 
yeah, no, nobody is going to reach out to me, nor would I expect them to. Uh, I don't have a lot of communications with the administration from past history. Bill, you know, I'm just wondering this because we haven't seen this. Uh, something has ignited uh, the internal as far as these types of discussions to be present. Is it the the influx of, of all the migration, the refugee situation, uh, even out of the southern border? I mean, have they sparked these crowds, uh, these uh, these negative uh, types of, of outlooks as far as protests and, and hatred? Uh, is is that part of the problem, you think? Well, I think what you have on campuses, and this is not new, it's just accelerated in the last few years, is you have a racialization of the dispute. And that's why this DEI stuff is so damaging, because it forces everybody to focus on race. And they portray it as, you know, students of color, that's their terminology, uh, versus, you know, white Israel. And, of course, we know Israel is not white by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, half of the Jews in Israel came from Arab countries. They were refugees or descendants of refugees. It's a multiracial. But that's how they portray it. So I don't think it's so much that you have people from foreign countries on campus. What I think you have, the problem is, is that you have an ideology on campus forced on the campus by the senior administration. I mean, there's mandatory coursework in the works, mandatory training for staff. Um, it's everywhere. It's like a religion on campus, this hyper-focus on race. What you have is you have people exploiting that, you know, color divide, if you want to call it that. You have people manipulating that against Israel. It is a sick obsession. And if you want to know how sick it is on campuses, this wasn't at Cornell, but at George Washington University, some of the students projected, this is right after the massacre by Hamas, projected on the side of a building, glory to our martyrs. I mean, we're raising potentially violent jihadists, uh, and of course they're only jihadists against Jews, right. raising potentially violent jihadists on our campus with this sick ideology that we forced on everybody. And I'll tell you this, I, I would bet everything I have, everything I have, 90% of them don't even know the history. And I'm talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts that really go back to the end of the 19th century. And, and I would bet probably all of them don't even realize the United Nations adopted a resolution 181. I talk about it all the time, the petition plan, which, you know, sought to divide way back the British mandate of Palestine into Arab and Jewish states. I, I would bet nobody knows the history as far as how it all began. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows the history that the people who started to identify as Palestinian in the mid, you know, uh, 20th century, I mean, there was no Palestinian national movement really until the creation of Israel. And, uh, and nobody knows that, you know, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem so hated the Jews during World War II that he openly supported Hitler and created a Muslim equivalent of the SS to fight with the Nazis. I mean, nobody knows that. I guarantee you, nobody in those crowds knows that. Maybe they wouldn't care at this point. But, you know, nobody knows that the um, most of the population who now identify as Palestinian didn't do that until the creation of Israel. Uh, you know, the uh, Jordan controlled what's called the West Bank, in, right. you know, prior to 1967. You didn't hear a single call by, quote-unquote, Palestinians for Jordan to give up that land and create a state. In fact, the Palestinian... National um, 
covenant uh, in uh, 1964, I think it was, so before the Six-Day War, said, we don't even want that territory in the West Bank. We don't want that territory in what's now called Gaza, which was controlled by Egypt. They specifically, in Palestinian National Charter, I should say, in 1964, disclaimed any claim to the West Bank and Gaza. Yet, what do we hear now? Oh, the West Bank is where the Palestinians should have a state. Well, why didn't you want that state when it was controlled by Jordan? Well, we know why. Because you only wanted the state when it was controlled by Jews, not when it was controlled by Arab Muslims. This is all a charade. This is all a farce. They hate the Jews. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, my goodness gracious. Uh, And it's permeated uh, in and around. And uh, listen, the Ivy League, no exception. Harvard, Cornell, it's, you know. Very tough situation. That's where these presidents, they have to, have to hold people accountable here. And I'll tell you this, the only way they'll feel it, Bill, in my estimation, uh, is with uh, these alumni donations. As soon as that starts, uh, as soon as that starts holding back, that's, that's when things go into action. And it's hard to believe that tomorrow's leadership, and I'm talking about future CEOs of what we expect out of our Ivy League institutions will be inundated uh, with individuals of this ilk. That's the sad part of this whole thing. And they already are. They already are. We've had this going on on campuses for a generation. So a lot of the people who, you know, the 20 and 30-somethings who work for Google and work for Facebook and work for these different corporations, they have this ideology. Uh, Perhaps they're not you know, projecting glory to our martyrs on the side of building, but they have that ideology. And I think, you know, people who, and a lot of this is an anti-American ideology too. I mean, people need to understand there's an enormous overlap between the anti-Israel students and the anti-Israel faculty and the anti-American students and the anti-American faculty. It's one war and people need to understand that. Indeed. We'll keep an eye on things. It's not good. William Jacobs and Cornell Law professor will keep us uh, in the loop. William, until next time, my friend, thank you. Great, thank you.